Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. John Locke, Second Treatise of Government, Sections 77 through 86. Chapter 7 Political or Civil Society. Conjugal Society. Section 77. God having made man as a creature who, in God's own judgment, ought not to be alone, drew him strongly by need, convenience, and inclination into society and equipped him with understanding and language to keep society going and to enjoy it. The first society was between man and wife which gave rise to the society between parents and children, to which, in time, the society between master and servant came to be added. All these could and often did meet together, and constitute a single family in which the master or mistress had some appropriate sort of authority. Each of these smaller societies, or altogether, fell short of being a political society, as we shall see if we consider the different ends, ties, and bounds of each of them. Section 78. Conjugal society is made by a voluntary compact between man and woman. It mainly consists in the togetherness of bodies and right of access to one another's bodies that is needed for procreation, which is its main purpose. But it brings with it mutual support and assistance, and a togetherness of interests, too this being needed to unite their care and affection, and also needed by their offspring, who have a right to be nourished and maintained by them till they are old enough to provide for themselves. Section 79. The purpose of bonding between male and female is not just procreation, but the continuation of the species, meaning that it's not just to have children, but to bring them up. So this link between male and female ought to last beyond procreation, so long as is needed for the nourishment and support of the young ones. This rule that our infinite wise maker has imposed on his creatures can be seen to be regularly obeyed by the lower animals. In viviparous animals that feed on grass, the bonding of male with female lasts no longer than the mere act of copulation. Because the female's teat is sufficient to nourish the young until they can feed on grass, all the male has to do is beget, and doesn't concern himself with the female or with the young, to whose nourishment he can't contribute anything. But in beasts of prey, the conjunction lasts longer, because the dam isn't able to survive and to nourish her numerous offspring by her own prey alone, this being a more laborious way of living than feeding on grass as well as a more dangerous one. So the male has to help to maintain their common family, which can't survive unaided until the young are able to prey for themselves. This can be seen also with birds, whose young need food in the nest, so that the cock and the hen continue as mates until the young can fly, and can provide for themselves. The only exception is some domestic birds. The cock needn't feed and take care of the young brood because there is plenty of food. Section 80. This brings us to what I think is the chief, if not the only reason, why the human male and female are bonded together for longer than other creatures. It is this, 
long before a human child is able to shift for itself without help from his parents. Its mother can again conceive and bear another child, so that the father, who is bound to take care for those he has fathered, is obliged to continue in conjugal society with the same woman for longer than some other creatures. With creatures whose young can make their own way, the time of procreation comes around again. The conjugal bond automatically dissolves and the parents are at liberty, till Hymen, at his usual anniversary season, summons them again to choose new mates. We have to admire the wisdom of the great creator. Having given man foresight and an ability to make preparations for the future, as well dealing with present needs, God made it necessary that the society of man and wife should be more lasting than that of male and female among other creatures, so that their industry might be encouraged and their interests better united to make provision and lay up goods for their shared offspring, an arrangement that would be mightily disturbed if the offspring had an uncertain mixture of parentage or if conjugal society were often and easily dissolved. Section 81 But though there are ties that make conjugal bonds firmer and more lasting in humans than in the other species of animals, it is still reasonable to ask. Once procreation and upbringing have been secured, and inheritance arranged for, why shouldn't this compact between man and wife be like any other voluntary compact? That is, why shouldn't its continuance depend on the consent of the parties, or on the elapsing of a certain period of time, or on some other condition? It is a reasonable question because neither the compact itself nor the purposes for which it was undertaken require that it should always be for life, unless, of course, there is a positive law ordaining that all such contracts be perpetual. Section 82 Though the husband and wife have a single common concern, they have different views about things, and so inevitably they will sometimes differ in what they want to be done. The final decision on any practical question has to rest with someone, and it naturally falls to the man's share, because he is the abler and the stronger of the two. But this applies only to things in which they have a common interest or ownership. It leaves the wife in the full and free possession of what by contract is her special right, and gives the husband no more power over her life than she has over his. The husband's power is so far from that of an absolute monarch that the wife is in many cases free to separate from him, where natural right or their contract allows it. Whether that contract is made by themselves in the state of nature, or made by the customs or laws of the country they live in. When such a separation occurs, the children go to the father or to the mother, depending on what their contract says. Section 83. All the purposes of marriage can be achieved under political government as well as in the state of nature. So the civil magistrate doesn't interfere with any of the husband's or wife's rights or powers that are naturally necessary for those purposes namely procreation and mutual support and assistance while they are together. He comes into the picture only when called upon to decide any controversy that may arise between man and wife about the purposes in question. If it were otherwise, and that absolute sovereignty and power of life and death naturally belonged to the husband and were necessary to the society between man and wife, there could be no matrimony in any of those countries where the husband is allowed no such absolute authority. 
but the ends of matrimony requiring no such power in the husband, the condition of conjugal society put it not in him, it being not at all necessary to that state. Conjugal society could subsist and attain its ends without it. Nay, community of goods, and the power over them, mutual assistance and maintenance, and other things belonging to conjugal society, might be varied and regulated by that contract which unites man and wife in that society, as far as may consist with procreation and the bringing up of children, till they could shift for themselves, nothing being necessary to any society that is not necessary to the ends for which it is made. Section 84. As for the society between parents and children, and the distinct rights and powers belonging to each, I discussed this fully enough in chapter 6, and needn't say more about it here. I think it is obvious that it is very different from politic society. Section 85. Master and servant are names as old as history, but very different relationships can be characterized by them. A free man may make himself a servant to someone else by selling to him for a specified time the service that he undertakes to do, in exchange for wages he is to receive. This often puts him into the household of his master and under its ordinary discipline, but it gives the master a power over him that is temporary and is no greater than what is contained in the contract between them. But there is another sort of servant to which we give the special name slave. A slave is someone who, being a captive taken in a just war, is by the right of nature subjected to the absolute command and arbitrary power of his master. A slave has forfeited his life and with it his liberty. He has lost all his goods, and as a slave he is not capable of having any property, so he can't in his condition of slavery be considered as any part of civil society, the chief purpose of which is the preservation of property. Section 86. Let us then consider a master of a family, with all these subordinate relations of wife, children, servants, and slaves, all brought together under the general label of the domestic rule of a family. This may look like a little commonwealth in its structure and rules, but it is really far from that in its constitution, its power, and its purpose. Or if it must be thought a monarchy, and the paterfamilias, the absolute monarch in it, absolute monarchy will have but a very shattered and short power, when it is plain, by what has been said before, that the master of the family has a very distinct and differently limited power, both as to time and extent, over those several persons that are in it. For excepting the slave, and the family is as much a family, and his power as paterfamilias as great, whether there be any slaves in his family or no, he has no legislative power of life and death over any of them, and none too but what a mistress of a family may have as well as he. And he certainly can have no absolute power over the whole family, who has but a very limited one over every individual in it. But how a family, or any other society of men, differ from that which is properly political society, we shall best see by considering wherein political society itself consists. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be, and when we find ourselves in the place just right, 
which will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>